Coaches, welcome to the Championship Vision Podcast. Coach Kevin Furtado. Hey, if you want to know who are the best high school basketball coaches and leaders in our country are, you need to stay tuned and listen to the Championship Vision Podcast. We have some of the most renowned and best high school basketball coaches and PE teachers from around the country. Coaches you might not have heard of, but have amazing ideas. And I firmly believe every coach in America has genius within them. It's not all about the state championships. It's about the impact you have on your kids and your community. So stay tuned to the Championship Vision Podcast. Welcome to the Championship Vision Podcast. Uh, this is Coach Kevin Furtado for episode 239 of our Championship Vision Podcast. Um, I know I've been away for a while. Um, I just uh, recently hit, had the passing of my brother at age 59, so I've been going through a lot right now. So, But uh, you know what? You got to continue on with life and continue talking to these great coaches from around the country. So we have Jeff Buffetta. Hopefully I said that correctly. Right, Jeff? Some reason we froze. <laughs> no problem at all. Hey, we're, hey, I just want to introduce Jeff Buffetta of Mount Iron Buell, uh, excuse me, Mountain Iron Buell High School in Mountain Iron, Minnesota. I just love the name of your school. It just sounds tough. Uh, coach, but um, <laughs> hey, welcome to the podcast. Uh, you're going to kind of discuss your summer development program, but before we do that, I want you to give us kind of a bio of your career. And you've been coaching 23 years, if I'm correct, and you've done a lot. Of, you have a lot of great success. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, um, <clears throat> well, we're up in northern Minnesota. Um, we're called uh, we're on the Iron Range. Um, <laughs> I've been just finished my 23rd year. Um, I think I've been a, well, I've been a girls basketball, head girls basketball coach for all 23 years. I just completed my second year as the boys coach also. Um, besides the high school realm, I've also been a spring basketball coach and coordinator um, for many years. Uh, before I took over the boys basketball here, I did boys like AAU basketball for the prior 21 years. And was completely involved in the spring program too. So um, I've been, you know, I've, I'm from a small school. I've been coaching in a small school. So I've been coaching multiple sports. I coached football for many years, softball, track, 
um, done run the whole gamut. When you're in a small school, you got to coach everything. But sure. now doing the double basketball thing, I think that's where I've sort of stuck to, and I'm probably going to be at here for a while. Yeah, and I want to talk to you about that, but coaching, coaching both teams, um, that, that that's truly a task because I did it for a couple of years. I don't know how you do it, but from what I've read, you're a basketball junkie. You love the game. Uh, did you just want another challenge in your career, and why did you decide to do both? I, I guess you could sort of say that. Um, I do have – I have a fifth-grade daughter and a third-grade son, so I was looking ahead – at having a couple of kids to get involved in the program. And um, the year we took it over at that point, I had, we, we were on a nine consecutive section championship run on the girls side and the boys job opened up. So the choices were um, drop the girls and leave what we had established and switch over to the boys or try to tackle both. And fortunately I had an administration here that was willing to back us and let us let my um, assistant coach and I attempt it. And it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I guess um, just from kind of studying your career a little bit, I, you've been working with boys. So it's not like you're just kind of coming in, you run an AAU program for boys and so forth. So you're familiar with coaching the boys game. Yeah, no, it's, and I really, I, I don't treat it much differently. I mean, anybody who's coached both boys and girls, it's basketball. I teach the skills the same, um, run a lot of the same concepts. I mean, obviously we gear the concepts towards the needs of each individual team, but yeah. a lot of the same concepts are used. And oh, um, my background of the AAU side, I knew that I was able to do that. So it, it's been pretty seamless transition. It's been a lot of fun. Just really quick before we get on to your topic and talk about kind of the great mentors in your life, how do you do it? I, I know I could not go from one practice to the next. I put so much into the first practice. I struggled with the second. How do you do that mentally as a coach? Um, it, it's a challenge. I mean, I, I just try to, I think the more you prepare, I mean, I have all the preparation to get ready for each practice and you, know, you do the preparation ahead of time and um, you just have to put your gear towards that practice at that moment and and then basically when the one team leaves you switch your paperwork and and your mental process to what the other team needs and um, the scouting reports um, you have to do a lot of pre-planning of scouting reports because sometimes you tend to get them mixed up in your head of who you're actually preparing for and which night you're preparing for um, but I, you know I, I like being in the gym and to me five hours of practice is nothing I, I enjoy that I, I like being in the gym practicing and um, when one team has a game and the other one has practice, it's sort of neat to warm yourself up with a two hour practice before you play it and coach a game. And um, I, it's a lot of fun and the kids and make it nice. And I guess, you, and you have to mention the fact that, and I know you know this, the staff behind you. I mean, I have tremendous basketball staffs on both sides. I have my assistant coach actually does both with me, but I have separate assistants on both sides also. Right. And I mean, the continuity of my staff and what we do just makes it all doable. Yeah, the staff has to be good. I know I have a really good assistant coach and I actually added one more really good coach this year. Uh, that's that's underrated, right? Because you better have people that are loyal to you that know what you want. Tell us a little bit about, you know, how you've created, you know, your staff and you're, you're in a smaller community. Is that easier? 
Um, you know, well, for the first 19 years I coached, my main assistant was my brother. So that was easy. We had a good relationship and, you know, um, but then over the years I've met other, uh, my, another one of my assistants became my, was my community college coach. He coached, he quit coaching community college. He came on and was a staff member of mine for 10 years. Um, a local school nearby, I created a good relationship. He, we coached AAU together, did summer camps together. And then later on, he decided to come join my staff and he's now my top assistant. And I mean, I, I like to surround myself with as many former head coaches as I possibly can. And the more of them I can have involved in my staff, the better. And I think I've always had at least two or three head coaches, former head coaches on my staff at any given time. And I, I value that and, and they know they're valued. So I think it, it works hand in hand. Yeah. It sounds like you're not afraid of um, having people. I, I always say it's always good to have people that are very smart in certain areas, maybe more smarter than you or me. Um, and I know it's hard with the ego, but um, you, it seems like you have that. You love, because a lot of people like true assistants. They don't like former head coaches. I love that. Yeah, no, I, I, again, I, the more former head coaches I have, and the, I mean, I think right now I currently have five, four or five, five former head coaches on my staffs between the two. That's great. So. Yeah, that's great. That's awesome right there too, particularly in a, talk about your small program. Talk, talk about, first of all, I love that you're in Mountain Iron Yule High School. And that as it sounds like you guys are just grinders. Talk about the history of that area out there. You got some hardworking people in that community, don't you? Well, we are the, um, obviously the iron ore capital of the world, Mountain Iron, Minnesota. You can look that up because we definitely are. We're where all the taconite gets shipped out from to go make steel in Pittsburgh and so forth. So, you know, we're mining communities. Um, our schools of Mountain Iron and Buell combined in the early to middle eighties. Um, the towns have been around for about 130 years now, and mm -hmm. they were made when the mining picked up here in the late 1800s. And um, it's just, that's the type of people we have. It's, you know, a lot of hardworking mining people. And then obviously all the industries that go to support that. And I mean, we have some big schools around us. We're sort of the, the little school in between some big towns, right. um, which is sort of nice too. We give that option of being, the, being able to go to a small school and, do the small school sports experience. Yeah, talk about, first of all, your um, kind of your classifications there in Minnesota. And I, I got to tell you, I'm really honored. I've, I've almost got all 50 states covered in my podcast. So, Jeff, man, I'm so excited to have all you Minnesota guys coming on this week. Um, but talk about Minnesota basketball. I think it's underrated because I've heard Minnesota basketball is really good just from – you know, just from researching and so forth, the, the college programs out there, they say Minnesota basketball is underrated. Yeah, we are a four class system in Minnesota. Um, class 1A is the smallest with 4A being the largest. Um, we're obviously a 1A school. Um, we're about three hours north of the Minneapolis-St. Paul area where obviously the metro area has more of the 3A and 4A schools. And and there is, I mean, there's, there's a lot of talent. I mean, it, when you go down to the AAU tournaments on the weekend, I know our, our, on the girls' side, they just had the AAU state tournaments last weekend. And I mean, there's just numerous girls now that are going D1 year in and year out. And 
and we have a lot of good solid D2 programs in our state. And um, it, you, you just, you find so many more kids now that are just setting the goals of wanting to be college basketball players, which is fun to see. It's a way, way different feeling than it was when I started coaching 23 years ago. And I know some of our kids now have those goals. And I mean, we've been fortunate on our girls side here to have, uh, I think I've had about nine players go and play at the NAIA or D2, um, D3 levels over the last several years. And it's been a lot of fun being able to see them go on and compete at those levels. But Minnesota basketball is pretty good. I mean, you look at the boys side too. I mean, we've had some of the top rated boys in the country the last few years. So that's pretty fun to see. I think the top rated senior this year in the country is from Minnesota, um, Chet Holmgren. So a lot right, of fun to right. see that stuff happen. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I, I forget the name of the player. I'm not sure he played for Duke. But I, I give an example of some of the top players that have played, uh, girls or boys that played in Minnesota. Do you have any, um, you know, like recent great players? Well, right now um, in Gonzaga is, was, um, oh man, why <laughs> uh, I should know. But we, the Gonzaga's point guard this year graduated from Minnesota, was Minnesota last year. That's right, that's right. And Duke does have one of their players right now is from Minnesota. And the um, we had a couple that went to Duke that are now playing the professionals that played in the metro area in Minnesota. So um, on the boys' side, there's been a lot of success. People that are like top recruits now in the big programs, and um, which is cool to see. I'd also think it'd be awesome if we could get some to stay home at the Gophers because obviously, you know, you look at your – your program in state and you hope that they can get some of those players. But when you're being lured in by the big programs across the country, it's, it's a testament to the state of Minnesota and what a lot of these coaches, that's why I asked you. And when you said that you were contacting me, I'm like, Holy cow, I know all these coaches in Minnesota and there's a lot of great coaches out there that <laughs> you look up to and you go and listen to, and you know, you just hope to be able to put out or help kids like they do. So that's really our ultimate goal all the time. For sure. Talk about some of your mentors, coaches. It could be from other states. Uh, I know Coach uh, Coach Acock, Pete Acock, right here on the podcast is one of my great mentors. And I have a lot of coaches that are younger and my same age that I really kind of rely on. Who are some of the mentors that kind of help shape your philosophy? Well, most of mine came from people that I worked with early on. Um, my community college coach, Doug Schmitz, who ended up coaching with me for several years, I, I formed a lot of what made me want to coach and want to think about the style of play I wanted from him. Um, my first teaching coaching job I had in McGregor, Minnesota, I met a guy named John Gronis who really, I mean, when you have people that like welcome you in and want to talk and talk philosophy with you, I was fortunate enough to, enough to get some of that. And I had coaches that didn't like tell me what to do, but gave me a lot of insight and advice and Sure. Um, I think that was great. Um, and then I have a coach here that coached high school before I even, this is where I, I'm actually teaching and coaching where I graduated from. Sure. And the coach that coached here prior to me being in high school, and he's still one of our greatest fans here, John Gornick. He's the one that was also my elementary teacher. Um, he's the reason why I actually went into teaching and coaching. And he still comes to all of our games today. And when you have people like that, around and that support that you know those are the people that I never really looked outside of our area it was the people that were around me that just made me want to be like them and wanted to work hard in the job 
Talk about your area now. Like you've had a lot of success. I'm always amazed when I see small communities develop almost as talent code, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, of great players. Is it what what has led to that? And we know you're doing a great job, but is there something else in your community that really builds great, particularly girls basketball players? Well, I think number one, you have to have buy-in. Um, we can give our vision, which I think I did many years ago of what I thought could make a good basketball program. And, um, but you have to get the kids to buy in. And when we talk about what we do here in the summer and throughout the year, mm -hmm. if we didn't get the kids to buy in and want to commit to that, we would have never had the success we've had. So I've been fortunate enough to get not just kid buy-in, but parent buy-in, community buy-in, administration buy-in to allow me to do many of the things that I feel are like paramount for us to be successful. And you know, when you're dealing with graduating classes of 25, our options are very slim. Sure. We try to start working with them in kindergarten through third grade, try to get them interested, try to get them to want to be um, wearing the red and gold, which are our colors. And once you get them to that, now it's what can we do with them? And I think once you get them to buy in and want to be a part of the process, that's what allows you to be successful. Yeah, and I enjoyed talking to you over the phone the other day on the drive home from South Carolina. Um, you really talked about a K-12 feeder program philosophy. Um, I really want you to get into that, but I do have something I research from you. And I guess, I don't know if it was last year or this year that the Mountain Iron Buell sixth grade girls basketball team won the pace setter great four state championship at the target center. Okay. So mm -hmm. you're, you, you don't have, I mean, you're getting these kids going early. I love that. Tell us the philosophy of that and tell us about your feeder program, how you're doing it. Well, one of the nice things that, and I'll, I'll give them the pace setter is a program in the state of Minnesota. They actually run um, like a, it's almost like a sectional format for grades four through nine. And about 15 years ago, my brother and I just totally bought into that format. We're like, if we want to teach these kids how to potentially win championships when they're older, we have to try to teach them how to start winning some championships or at least competing for championships when they're mm -hmm. younger. Um, so we started entering all of our teams in these pace setter regionals. And just trying to give them the idea of how you compete in these tournaments and um, and compete for championships. And as we started to compete in those and learn how to win in those, that really started to transfer as they got into high school. They started to understand what that process was. Um, and we really, as coaches, the pace setters are in the spring. So as coaches, that allows us when our high school season is over to now I go and coach the fourth grade team at Pace Setter. I coach the fifth grade, the sixth grade. We, my assistants help. We have, um, we're, we're all sort of together in that. And we show those young kids that this is what we do. And as part of that feeder program, before the season, I, we, we have training sessions for our elementary coaches. Mm -hmm. And we teach all the elementary coaches. These are the things we need you to teach the kids to get them ready. Like for, for instance, offensively, we run the read and react offense. Mm -hmm. um, that's our main motion offense, read and react. So we give them the stages of read and react. We want them to know at the second grade level, the third grade level, the fourth grade level. So that way, by the time they get to junior high and JV, they're now running 90% of our motion offense. 
Um, we teach them, we were, we're a man-to-man defensive team. So we really teach them the concepts of this is how we want them to, to defend the ball when it's passed, how we want to defend the post, how we want to defend cutters, ball screens. And we go and we, we have that um, understanding with our feeder system and all of our coaches that they're getting them ready for us and we need to work together. And boy, we've had a, a lot of success with that and utilizing things like pace setter have been a great advantage for us. How much talk about your practice related to the games? Cause I know in AAU, to me, there's so many games and not enough practice. What's your philosophy there on, I know you have to do player development. I know you were talking about concepts, but talk about your player development. Hey, because you know, you don't want a kid in the 12th grade not be able to use her left hand. So what do y'all do with that? No, I mean, like in our old, younger, well, first of all, K through three, we don't even play games. Right. K through three, K through three is an hour and 15 minute practices of nothing but ball handling, passing, um, shooting form, shooting up the dribble, shooting up um, circle rotations, just like training their bodies of how to catch and shoot. So K through three is total 100% development on just the skills. Um, four through sixth grade, if they have an hour and a half practice, we try to have them commit at least 45 minutes of that to just those K through three skills, mm-hmm. building upon those. And then they can use the last half hour, 40 minutes to work on the how to run the offense, how to run the team defense or put in the press or do stuff like that. So um, no, we are very skill oriented. Um, I'm, I mean, I could probably get into controversial knowledge of how I expect kids to shoot, but if you ever to ask anybody in Minnesota how a Motenar and Buell girls basketball player shoots, they would probably all explain it in one way, and they all would say we shoot the same way, whether it's right or wrong, agreed to by other people. Um, we we are pretty committed on everybody approaching shot preparation the exact same way, and we start that in kindergarten, and we keep them going all the way up through. All right, let's talk about that then. I really, I mean. Yeah, you just ask your own question right there. I, I want to know. Uh, now, I'd love to have some video of how you teach it or any type of drills, but talk about how you develop shooters in your area there. So I'm really curious. Well, I know there's always the argument between jump stop shooting and step step shooting, right? I mean, I get the argument. And um, being that I've been a girls coach first, and I understand that not all girls um, are usually – uh, physically mature early um, I really went into the catching in a jump stop and so I start kids at an early age how to set their feet in a jump stop so that their legs are engaged I mean I don't overdo the legs though I just want I just call it knee flexion You're using knee flexion your legs are engaged um, so we start with the legs getting your feet set every time you catch the ball I mean we drill and I don't even call it jump stop anymore actually because I don't want kids jumping I call it quick stops So instead of jump stopping, we're quick stopping. We're getting those two feet set, teach them why, because we can have a pivot foot on either foot because pivoting is tough for kids, especially it's getting tougher, it seems like. So we have that push off uh, pivot foot either way. Um, So we start there with that foundation. And then obviously with the shooting hand, it's all about the finish. I mean, we, you're not going to get every kid to be able to be comfortable with their starting position the exact same, but we make sure that we're finishing with a straight arm, good snap follow through, keeping your fingers loose and finishing strong. So it's that foundation with the strong finish. 
And with the stuff in the middle, you know, I work with kids individually because not every kid's body's made the same and the stuff in the middle, some kids just aren't comfortable the same way. So, but that spend a lot of time on that. I mean, I, it's why I put a gym in my garage here because I just want kids to come and shoot and work on that shot preparation and the more the better. Yeah, I totally, I think shot is the um, ultimate. Um, I mean, if you make a lot, you can make a lot of mistakes, but if you have great shooters, that solves a lot of those mistakes, right, Coach? Um, yes, it does. <laughs> I love it. Um, I'm a hop shooting coach. So I'm really, I, I'm, I love that. I, I teach all hop shooting, except there's certain times where I don't, but I have girls that we develop a great shooting system here at the current school that I'm at. And um and I, we, we do wall shooting hops, we do turn hops, we do all sorts of stuff. Um, tell how many shots do you guys shoot a day in one of your varsity practices? Well, let's start with the summer because I guess that'll lead into it. Okay. Um, in, our, in our summer, we do what's called, well, I started off as the 12,000 May Club. Mm -hmm. It's now the, the 20,000 May Club. So in June and July, our kids are, expected to make 20,000 shots at the high school level. Um, at the elementary level, when they first get introduced, it's the 12,000 May Club. And, and that's where, so when the summer begins, we talk to them a lot again about this foundation of shooting. And we really try to get them to focus on making 20,000 quality shots. I and mean, if you're a high school player, obviously you're shooting more three-pointers, you know, free throw the three-pointers. If you're a young player, you should be free throw line and in. Um, and then we teach them about mixing that in with finishes because I think finishes are so important. So we're a lot of work on your different finishes and work on your, um, I like, I, I term it in, I mean, the inside out shot. To me, I, my favorite shot in basketball is the inside out three. I mean, that's, right. we, we looking for that over and over and over. So um, our summer is based so much on our kids getting those shot reps and quality shot reps on working on that quick stop action and being able to always be engaged when you catch the ball. So that way, you know, you're going to shoot or drive or pass or whatever you're going to do immediately every time you catch it. So they get so many quality reps in the summer and a lot of it's on their own because obviously I can't watch 50 kids shoot 20,000 makes, right. but um, we see them in the gym every single morning after our weight room session and um, I work with any kid in June and July during when Minnesota allows us to work with kids in June and July that wants individual attention. I mean, I'll have some days where I'm on my home court for six consecutive hours working with different kids in the summer because that's what we're doing. We're drilling that shooting and trying to get those reps down. So we have quality shooters in our program. Um, so then that, so in the season, you know, I, I would. Man, it's such a pleasure to be on Championship Vision Podcast, one of the premier podcasts for top high school coaches and rising coaches in the game of basketball. My name is Michael Williams, and I'm the founder of the Williams Advancement Agency. WAA is a full-service agency here to assist all coaches at every level to be successful in the position they are now and obtain the future coaching position they're looking for. I'd say in the season, probably 25 to 30 minutes of solid shooting in a practice. Mm -hmm. that are through um, our offensive drills because we do re and react. I do most of my shooting drills on re and react concepts, but they're broken down. They're not in a five person concept. They're in a one person or two person shooting concept out of that offense. 
Yeah, I love that. Um, do you, uh, how do you, I always feel like we have a 10,000 shot program that I've actually introduced them. I've, I've done it for many years. How do you know if kids are actually, this is always the question. How do you know if they're shooting it? What validity do you have? What, uh, how can you validate that your kids are shooting? Uh, sometimes I have my kids video their shots at home. What do you do to make sure that they're doing it? Well, I mean, we do weekly check-ins. We check in every Friday. Uh, we, we, we lift weights every morning as a team all summer. So every morning, 7.45 a.m., the team comes and lifts weights for an hour together. And so every Friday we do shots check-ins where they have, they load a chart and they show me. And, you know, I mean, beyond that, I always tell them the biggest test to me to know if you're doing it is production. You know, when we go to, when we go to our summer leagues and we go to our summer tournaments and when November comes, I think it's pretty evident which kids are doing 20,000 mix. Right. I mean, it's, you know, I, uh, I can tell which kids are cheating it, which kids are doing it. And it, Right. You know, I, mean, I had several athletes last year do 30, 30 to 35,000 makes. Right. And if anybody was to watch us play last year, you'd be able to tell which kids shot 30,000 makes. It's very evident. So, yeah, for sure. I love that. I, I had a girl that um, I think last year uh, she's now going to, she signed with University of Tennessee Chattanooga. She shot 52,000 shots and everybody goes, everybody thought it was like, man, you know, how did you do it? She just outworked everybody. I mean, she had talent. But and coach, talk about Destiny McClendon. Uh, coach watched all our games. Talk about her and talk about uh, ask Jeff about your philosophy on shooting. Well, I've been doing this a long time. I'm retired now. I coach the junior college level and boys and girls basketball. And um, yeah, I started out in Monticello, Mississippi, coaching all five teams. So I've been down that road. To, both junior, junior high, eighth grade girl, eighth grade boys, and the two varsity teams. But I'm, um, I keep things probably too simple. Um, when I, I've always had great shooting teams with the exception of one team. And I think a lot of it has to do with just raw confidence, but nothing takes the place of repetition. You can take a kid with horrible shooting form. And if he gets enough reps in, He's going to be a decent shooter, but I just tell my kids that the most important thing is their form. Just watch Curry shoot. It starts, like you said, with the feet. I call it bird feet, Larry Bird. I just bird feet, shot pocket. We're special with the little kids right under that right eye. Bird feet puts it on the 45 at the bottom a little bit. Rainbow. You know, kids relate to what a rainbow is. That's 45 degrees. Put your hand in the gold. Right in the gold, pot of gold, you know. And I don't know, that's it's just kind of worked for us over the years. And, of course, you make a lot of adjustments here and there. But I think the best thing I ever did in shooting, and you probably do the same thing, the reason your kids shoot so, is they repeat so much. They do so much repetition. But I always define for each player an agreement. It's not a session where I say I'm going to demand this from you. What shot do you think that you can shoot? And if you shot it every single time, you're the only person that shot in the game and you got that shot open, would we win the game? And it's different for each one of them. Some kids don't feel real comfortable shooting a three. Some of them think they're great shooters if they make one out of 10. But 
I just told my kids, this is your shot. And when you're open, you have to shoot that shot. If you miss five, six, seven in a row, it just means you're going to make five, six, seven in a row. And we just leave it there. And uh, they're smart enough to know in clutch time who our best player is and the stuff that, that we run. And um, I like to get a lot of cheap baskets, and I know y'all do too, but the read and react is an incredible offense. One of my friends over in Atlanta ran it for years. He, he was about to quit. He was, at the end of the second year, it just hadn't really kicked in yet, you know. And, but then the summer after the second year, he said that thing kicked in, and he, was a, he had coached at the Division I level in basketball. And he said, it's the best thing I've ever done in my life. And you don't hear much about it anymore, the read and react. I think it came on the scene, and it looked like a great way to play. And uh, now I, you're the first person I've heard in, I guess, a couple, three years that, that, that runs it. Uh, I'd like to know more about it. But, yeah. no, what you're doing, if you keep doing it, you can't miss because uh, you've got them year-round, putting up 20,000 shots. But – I don't know. I do. do you, uh, we run the numbered break, and we run a secondary break off of it. We run after maids, and uh, that makes the physical conditioning come into play. And I can control that, and that helps you down at the end of the game, so to speak. But what is the things that you? What are the three or four things that you emphasize more than anything else that your kids have to do if you put them on the floor? Well, the number one thing is the shot preparation. I mean, if I have kids that aren't catching the ball ready to shoot, they're not playing. I mean, I don't care if they're the worst shooter on the team. If they're never going to take a shot, I want our opponents believing that they're going to shoot. So shot preparation to me is essential. <clears throat> yep. And um, I'm also, if we're talking throwing in defense, I'm a ball pressure type of guy. Um, I, I need people that are willing to pressure the ball. And I know everybody's going to do it in various degrees. Some guy, some kids are quick enough to get right in their face. Some kids have to have arms length, but you have to do ball pressure. I'm not taking anybody that's just going to sit back and expect other people to do the work. So if you're on the floor, you are going to pressure the ball. And I just, I like movement. I like kids that move. When you talk about Curry, I mean, every single day I talk to my third grade son watch him because you are going to move. It, it doesn't, no matter what's happening, if somebody's guarding you, face guarding you, you're not going to sit and pout. You're going to move. You're going to cut. You're going to be a part of that offense, whether you get a shot or not. So movement is huge on offense and defense. We can't just be people that stand there. And yeah, and I love the transition game too. I mean, we're, we run a wide break. We like people sprinting up the court. Um, balancing the floor on both sides with a rim runner going up the middle and we like to get so kids that are willing to push no matter what and you we can teach them how to make decisions at the end it's just but you can't you know the heart of being able to sprint every single possession transition on offense and defense is so important so those are the things that we really stress I mean I and they probably hear it a billion times of practice from me yeah, and I know I want you to talk a little bit about let's kind of continue on before we go on to your system about what else do you do in your summer program, Jeff? So give us a breakdown. What are you going to do? I'm sure you're going to be starting pretty soon here in June. Uh, I think I spoke to another Minnesota coach today, Jeremy, uh, uh, trying to remember, D. Giovanni. He yeah. also a, a Minnesota. You, probably, you might even know him. 
Uh, he was talking about they they get they start in June. I think June fifteenth. I think it is. Uh, you might even said that. Um, what's your breakdown of what you guys do during the summer? I think you got July to use too, right? So we'll start June seventh, and then <clears throat> we get three weeks in June this year, and then you have a week off around Fourth of July, and then we get three weeks in July. So we have six weeks with them, mm-hmm. and. First of all, I'll have them all in. So we, we lift weights an hour a day, five days a week. That's something that um, is, it's just a must. I mean, all of our kids, boys and girls in our school, we have pretty good buy-in. I mean, most of my boys play football also. So they're in the weight room. Girls, they're, they're all there. I mean, I think last year, I'll get 100% participation. That's not even a worry. Um, we will do full practices twice a week with and here's what's important for us in a small school. Our practices will be sixth graders through 12th graders. And all of our sixth through 12th graders will practice together. We will shoot together. We will do all the passing together. They will learn the concepts of our read and react offense together. They'll learn the concepts of our defense together, our press breaking, our presses, our transition. And we're really gonna get that system where everybody's in on that system together. So over the course of that six weeks, they're going to get 12, 13 practices as a group. So that way, no matter what, you know, we have complete buy-in sixth through 12th grade, junior high through JV through high school, mm-hmm. that we're all doing the same thing. Um, so, and then we host a league. We have 12 teams in our league that we host the boys league on Monday nights and the girls league on Thursday nights. So twice a week, we're hosting 12 teams from the area. Um, and then we take them and we travel to like the Metro area and we play six varsity tournaments, six JV tournaments. And then we also still do the pace setter state tournaments with the fourth through ninth grade. And we'll do that for all of the boys and girls. So, um, and, that, and then that, and that's not even counting the 20,000 makes where when we're not practicing, you know, I get as many kids that want help to come here. And that's why I, I can show you my gym. It's right behind me, behind this door here. Yeah, come, if you can do that, we'd love to see it if you could. To, to come here and get some shots in and um, with me rebounding and talking them through it or so here's. Nice, nice. It's like you got a you got a D dish in there. Yep, Doctor Dish in there, and I got a second basket <laughs> over on the end. So that's our garage. Now, how you tell me how you <laughs> tell me how you put that together on that? I know. Um, are you a builder and so forth? Uh, that's pretty sweet. No, I just got a very um, forgiving wife that allows me to do crazy things. So my <laughs> I hear you, brother. Our old house had an outdoor court and we spent, I spent so many hours out in the sun. I know this is Minnesota and it, you probably don't think it's hot, but right. spending all of June and July in the middle of the afternoon rebounding for kids for three, four hours at a time, I couldn't take it anymore. I needed an inside. So my wife allowed me to go inside. It's but it's stuff. cold in the winter. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. That's why, that's why I like coaching both. Cause I don't want to be outside. It's, it's a lot warmer in the in the gym and everything else. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. I tell you what I should have told you to do is actually film a workout for us, like a little shooting workout. Maybe we'll do that next, Jeff. I would oh, love to good. see that. I would love to see a shooting workout from you. I would be more than willing to do that. I love doing shooting workouts. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, 
Hey, what I want to go into is I, a little bit about your system. I, I read that, and this is what the, the, the coach said. He says, is there a place, is swarm of interchangeable pests who come at you in waves, attack your best ball handlers, and defend with ferocity? I love that because that's how I believe teams, uh, my team should play. I love that, particularly at the girls' level. I believe girls don't handle the ball or, or ball handling is not strong. So we go after the ball big time on, a, we call it hand on ball. Talk about your system a little bit, because I really love it. Well, our defensive system, I'll give a lot of the credit to um, uh, coach Doug Schmitz, who was my community college coach. When um, I was always, I always loved defense and I was a good man to man coach. But when coach Schmitz came here about 12 years ago, 13 years ago, he really convinced me on the full court defense. So we put in what he called menu defense hmm. and we, we made a menu and our menu was, you know, on a made basket, we're going to do a one, two, one, one press on a dead ball. We're going to do a, um, a full denial man to man on a free throw. We're going to do um, a one, two, two, three quarter court trap on a, yeah. Side out of bounds, we're going to do a run and jump, playing behind and run and jump the track, you know, so, and then we've changed the menus over the years, like my menu this year, because we are down to only six players, we changed it to now we're doing a 2-2-1 into a matchup zone on a make and then three quarter court man to man with trapping capabilities on a miss and so we'd always discuss our menus based upon what our teams could accomplish in that year. And um, Coach Schmitz was, you know, great in that. And we bought into it as a program. And uh, I mean, that's what our program does now. We sort of discuss as a staff, you know, what menu is going to work for us this year. And we introduce it to those kids that this is what we're going to do. And, and then that's what we drill like crazy. And, and usually it involves pressure of some kind, because you're right, especially on the girls' side. I think the more you can get up and we're playing class A basketball, so you know, this isn't the big schools where you're putting out athlete after athlete after athlete in class A, most schools are going to have one or two good athletes and then several solid kids who like basketball. And you really try to force the ball into those solid kids who like basketball and make them make decisions and make right. them do things. And I think that's why the menu concept has been so good because it switches things up and it provides pressure in different aspects or different ways so they're seeing something different depending on makes and misses and free throws and changes of the game. And um, it's really worked for us. And, you know, and again, it all involves pressure. Even this year when we went two, two, one in the matchup, two, three, half the time our opponents didn't, they still thought we were in man because we were still pressuring. Right. The ball always had pressure in it. It wasn't just a sitting back two, three zone. We were attacking the ball with everybody else in good help side defensive positions. The only difference is we weren't chasing. That's it, you know, so. Yeah, and I love to get some of your drills on that. We run, I run a 2-2-1 back into what we call our buzz, which is a 2-1-2 half-court trap. Pete will tell you, it, it's, it's crazy. And um, we do it really with girls that are not really that athletic, but they play hard, just like probably your girls do. Your girls probably play harder than mine, though, I would say. <laughs> uh, country, men, hey, Minnesota kids, man, got to be tough. Um how do you train that? I know a lot of coaches that do a lot of breakdown. I'm not really big on breakdown. I like to teach through concepts more three-on-three, small-sided games. How do you do it? 
sort of a combination of the two, to be honest. I mean, we do start, I start with breakdowns a lot, um, mm -hmm. to especially introduce the concepts. Um, we'll, we'll break it down, go little by little. And then once the concept starts to happen, then we do the small sided games. And then we do the, I mean, I'm not much of a scrimmage guy. So you see very little five on five in my practices. And I think that has more to do with small school. I mean, real, I can't really put out five on five and have it be competitive. So you got to be creative in other ways. Um, sure. You only have seven kids who are really varsity ready and the other seven are more JV ready. It's not even fair to the JV kids to, to go live. So we do a lot of, yeah, the three on three, four on four after we broke it down more in the one on one, two on two type concept area. And um, for instance, like the two, two, one, just as we introduced that this year, I mean, we literally would break down the first two spots and we would drill the footwork of those first two spots, the two people in front, this is the footwork. And we had everybody learn that footwork. And then we would drill the back, the middle two spots. And then we would drill the decision-making of the back person, because even though right away, kids think, oh, you just took me in back because I'm no good. No, we need something in the back that can think that can read, that, sure. that knows what's going on in front of them. So we would drill each of those things individually and then start putting in maybe one side. Now we're gonna attack one side. Here's what we do when the ball goes here. And then the other side, and then we'd put it all together later. Um, and, and I don't know, it's, we try to do that basically every part of our, you know, what we do, so. Yeah, and I love that. I, uh, I do believe totally like you're saying about ball pressure. Give me a little detail on ball pressure. We call it hand on ball. Um, we have, we want to be like, we want to have arms fully extended. Uh, we want pressure. I know with girls sometimes, tell me, Jeff, that this is wrong. Sometimes girls don't want to extend arms. I don't know if it's just lack of shoulder strength or whatever, but I think wideness and quickness, um, I think you can cause a lot of problems on the ball. What's your philosophy? <laughs> I think that's awesome that you bring that up because you know what I went to this year with both my boys and girls team, we began every defensive session with them spread out in front of me with my arms straight and in a defensive stance. And they had to stay in that stance and slide do slides longer than me. And I love it for about the first two weeks, nobody could make it longer than me on either team. And then eventually they were doing it and it, it translated to our, team defense a lot better because you're right they struggle I mean and you know I'll say you talk about girls the boys actually struggled to keep their arms out more than the girls did and it, you know and I think that's important you got to make yourself wide um not too low I think sometimes we overemphasize low you need your knees flex that's why I try to get the knees flex but knees flex does not mean you're sitting on a chair you got to be right. able to move you know so we try to be comfortable able to move with arms wide and um, yeah, I always want them close enough that they're definitely in, you know, they're close, but we'll say never in the bubble. You don't wanna to be too close. You don't wanna be in their sure. bubble where you're gonna be getting too many fouls or uh, you're susceptible to them breaking you down too easily. Do you feel um, that, I, I think recovery is so important in basketball. I, if you're gonna get beat, we all get beat one-on-one. -on -one you teach sprint recovery because I think girls sometimes give up and they get beat. It's like they rely too much on help. We really teach that hard recovery and it might be a tap from behind. It might be a cutoff. To me, that's a neglected skill that you have to really work on. Well, we do several chase behind drills. Um, we, 
we we emphasize obviously the the controlling the ball because I think controlling the ball is so important. We want the sliding to control the ball. Hey coaches, this is Nick Bartlett, marketing manager here at Dr. Dish Basketball, and we're thrilled to be a part of the 2020 Championship Vision Virtual Clinic. Coach Kevin Furtado has been a great friend of ours for a few years now, and we greatly appreciate his commitment to growing the game the right way and providing great resources to the basketball coaching community. At Dr. Dish, we're always here to help as well with our state-of-the-art equipment, drills, and content. If you're ready to upgrade to the best training machines in the world and join top programs like Duke, North Carolina, Florida, Louisville, and countless others, we'd love to have you as a part of the Dr. Dish family. Remember, we take trade-ins on all shooting machines, including competitors, for significant discounts. And just by registering for this clinic, you're eligible to receive an additional exclusive $300 off your next Dr. Dish purchase. For more information, visit our website at drdishbasketball.com. Give us a call or shoot me an email directly at nick at drdishbasketball.com. And make sure to follow us on all social media channels at drdishbball. But then you have to teach once they get to a point where you can't control it anymore, now you go into a, a running a running style. And, you know, you got to drill that. You go from slide to run, slide to run, run to slide, run to slide. And we do a lot of drills where you're doing both of those. It's so, uh, yes, you're using the, the defensive slide to control the ball, but once you feel you can't control the ball, being able to adjust and translate the body from running to sliding and sliding to running. And that takes work. That's a lot of reps. I mean, you got to rep that just like you have to rep shooting. You know, it's the same, same thing. I totally agree, Coach. Coach, and I, I, I know you got things you got to do and so forth out there in Minnesota. You probably got to go in your gym and get 100 more shots in probably. on. But um, before you leave, kind of give us your, your like your unique DNA drills that you guys believe. It could be one, could be two, could be three. What do you guys really believe in? Try to explain that to our audience of coaches. Well, defensively, I mean, I, I just probably over drill. Um, I call it my three person jump to the ball drill. I mean, I, I don't know where I got this back when I first started coaching. We just, you know, we stick uh, three offensive people, one in the top of the key, two on the wings. And we go through a system where the first thing we do is just working on jumping to the ball. I pass to the wing defense jumps to the ball, pass back. They jump to the ball. Um, we try, we call it splitting the pie. So if you're guarding the ball and it gets passed, we want to get halfway between your person in the ball, splitting the pie, two equal pieces. And then we throw in cutters. So now we're getting ahead of those cutters. Um, if you know the read and react, read and react, the first thing that layer one is when you pass, you cut, right? So our defensive drills, we, we got to jump to the ball. We got to take away a layer one cut. You should never give just a straight line layer one cut. So you take right. that. Away. So that's the beginning of our jump to the ball series. Then we'll throw in screening away. So now you pass, you're screening away and we teach um, to go ball side of screens if they use the screens. That way, you know, you're not um, giving up curls. You know, we want to go sure. ball side, but also slipping the screens if they're not used. So if, if you know you're guarding somebody who's not using screens, we work on slipping so we can get in the passing lane and deny. Um, then we're going to turn that into working on stopping dribble penetration with help. I mean, the people on the wings have to know how to help without selling out and leaving a three-point shooter on the perimeter. And then we also throw in ball screens off of that, which I'm a huge person on hedging, but I also play to my team. And if I have interchangeable guards, we'll do some switching too. Sure. So 
that is a defensive drill that or a series that we do now from second grade through 12th grade every coach that's a non-negotiable they that's part of every practice or you probably aren't coaching for us so that that's where our defense has started in the half court it's pretty pretty big so you're you're you believe in the three on three more than a lot of coaches do four on four I love the three on three to be honest with you because it forces kids to move in space. I mean, what's your philosophy? I love three on three. Well, yeah, I mean, that, to me, that again, that that's one that we have to do. Then we have others. I mean, we do two on two sets to work on our defense. We do four on four. Um, we call it our fill and sink drill, working on on baseline rotations if we get beat on the baseline or give up baseline. Um, we work on other four on four rotations, but. The rest of our drills are like on a rotation basis. We don't do them every day. The three on three series we do every day. And then we have a, an, and we also do a post defending the post series that we do daily too, because even though there's not as much post play anymore as there used to be, you still have to guard people in the post and guards have to guard people in the post. And so do mm -hmm. post players and wings. So we teach everybody equally and they all have to go through a defending the post drill every day. Um, to our philosophy of whatever it is. I mean, 95% of the time we're fronting the post, but we do other things. I mean, we mix it up once in a while too. Absolutely. Um, offensively, do you have a certain um, skill development drill or certain drill that you maybe a transition drill? You mentioned transition is really important. How do you teach your, your, maybe your transition break? Well, we do have a set trend. I mean, I, I don't, we, I mean, we have a pretty set transition break where the kids, you know, they, they have to go to a certain area. Um, so we do individual drills on that of how to get wide. Like I like to teach kids how to get wide right out of it, teaching the footwork. I mean, it's, those are little things that a lot of people neglect. Like, I mean, when you're in the lane and your job is to sprint the outside lane. So you're, you're rebounding in the offense or the defensive lane. And now your teammate gets the rebound. How do you get your footwork to get you to the wide lane so you can see the ball, have your body facing inside and not take forever. So we like to do just simple drills of that individually first. And then once we're done drilling that, then we go into the team concept of making sure that when we get a rebound, depending on where you are, that we get somebody wide in front, somebody wide on the weak side, somebody rim running. And then we usually have the rebounder being the trailer. And then we have our options from there. I'm not really huge on the secondary break because we have, we do the re and react. And um, once we're down the court, if our initial breaks, not there, read and react, just a flowing type of yeah. offense. So we're automatically transitioning then right into our cuts and our, um, our reads that come out of the read and react offense. So. Yeah. Um, I used, yeah. I used to run the old North Carolina secondary break. And it's like, after a while, it's like, now I got rid of that a long time ago. <laughs> Trying to throw lobs. I'm not going to throw a back screen lob to one of my five, two girls. No. Yeah, no. <laughs> but we might run a double stagger. Might yeah. run a double stagger for a three. Yeah, we might do that. Uh, based on your personnel, right, Jim? No, it's definitely on personnel. I mean, that's, um, and you're going to, that's the other thing with Irene and React is we can adjust it based on our personnel. I mean, if we have, more post-orientated players, we can figure out how to adjust those concepts with still having post players. Um, fortunately, I, I mostly have the 401 in type look usually right? Uh, because I just don't get a lot of bigs. I usually don't have any, but 
if I have one person who's not as comfortable shooting the three, I can still use their assets of mid-range jump, mid-range shooting or screening and opening up to the to the ball and getting finishes and different things. So I, there's still a spot for them, even though they may not be a spread the floor type of player. So we try to utilize those. And, and then that's why when you talk about what you drill on offense, I, I don't really have any go-to set shooting drills. Mm-hmm. We try to create shooting drills based upon the needs of the offense any given week. Um, if we're struggling on um, circle rotating quarter, corner threes, well then I'm going to try to figure out any way we can drill a circle rotating corner three that week. If our interior player is struggling on uh, moving up the lane on a baseline drive and catching that elbow area shot while moving backwards, then we got to drill that over and over and over. So you try to base the drills on, you know, what's needed at that moment or in that week anyway. Do you feel like that's really neglected in a lot of coaches over the years you've seen? They actually have a lot of drills, but it doesn't emulate or simulate their offense. Yeah, and I, and, and I think that's, I mean, I think that's a mistake. I think everything that you do should be simulating what concepts you're putting out on the court in the, in the offense or in the defense. I mean, whatever your philosophies are, that's what you should be looking at drilling towards. Yeah, I love that, Jeff. And before you go, I want you to talk about uh, in your summer program, I'm a big believer. I think pivoting is the worst skill. I mean, kids don't work on it. Uh, and I actually require my players in, the, in, in our drills. They're always jump stopping. I call it, I call it uh, ball spins. Uh, and I got that this, this whole series from a great coach out here named Gene Durden. Uh, we do a lot of ball spins, jump stops, reverse pivots. Um, and we work on our footwork moves from there. How do you teach pivoting? How do you incorporate that into your system? Well, again, it's out of, just like you said, out of the shooting. I mean, because I teach all those quick stops, you know, we're, we're quick stopping on every single catch, ready to shoot. And then if you don't shoot, well, first thing I start off with is lead step driving and cross step driving, which is pivot mm-hmm. foot. So being comfortable off either foot to be able to do a good lead step drive or a cross step drive. And then you go on to, well, now you're guarded. You can't get by somebody to be able to pivot forward or backwards, reverse, you know, and be able to make a pass. So um, just a lot of live drills based on people closing out on you. I like to have catching and shooting with somebody closing out and drilling, shooting over that person and also pivoting away from that person to make a drive or to pass the ball. And um, yeah, you can't drill it enough because if a kid's uncomfortable, especially when traps start coming at you, they're uncomfortable not being able to use either foot they're going to be in trouble. That's the person you want to trap. If you see somebody that can't utilize either, exactly. go trap. Yeah, sure. You try to make it so your kids are comfortable in doing that. And um, I, I think so much, it can be out of your shooting drills and out of the shooting philosophy. Every shooting drill can be turned into that. You don't have to shoot on it. Every time you catch the ball in a shooting drill, make it when you don't shoot too, what's going to happen. Cause too many kids think that they're just going to catch and shoot every time. No, you're not. You got to make decisions. Decision making. <laughs> I mean, how do you incorporate that? Because uh, I think decision making is vitally important. I actually think you're going to laugh at me. I think decision making is actually more important than skill. I think I think you can have the most skilled player, but if she can't incorporate that into good decision making, to me, it's a waste. How do you teach decision making? Well, honestly, I think that's why we play so many tournaments in the summer. I think. You know, all these kids get in the AAU stuff, and I know you get in the fight of that. Of I'm about, I need my kids in the summer. I want them playing with me. 
And some of my kids do play AAU, but we try to make the schedule so they can be with me. And, you know, we sit, so you sit and drill these things in practice, but the true decision-making happens when you go to these tournaments. So when we enter six varsity tournaments, right. they're going to play 18 games and every single decision that's made, they have coaches, me and my assistants to sit and help them through that decision-making process. Right. And if they commit to the summer, which I think is so important, they're going to get hundreds of decisions based on the things that we're practicing in those 13 practices that now we're going to apply in November, because that's all those tournaments are for. Yeah. Kids want to win summer tournaments, just like I'm sure they want to win their AAU state championship, but it does. The winning doesn't, I don't care what record we get in the summer. We could lose all of our games in the summer because we're going to go play a bunch of four A and three A schools, but we're getting so much decision-making against good kids from big schools that when November comes around, we'll be a better team. So I think that's, what's important. You got to drill what you're hoping they'll do. And then you got to coach them up when they're doing those extra reps in the summer tournaments. That's so true. I, I just don't think you definitely need games. I had a lot of coaches in the summer. They, they tell me, you know what, we're going to practice all the time and you know, all that kind of stuff. You know, I, I want my teams, I want to observe my team in games. So then we know what to work on, but you got to do both. I don't think, I don't think you just practice. No, no, you, you need to do both. I said, that's, I mean, that's why we have, I mean, we're doing 13 practices and, and six tournaments. So, I mean, we're, we're doing, you know, a tournament for every two practices because you're right. I mean, well, this is summer. We need, so we'll do two practices, play a tournament. And now the next two practices will be geared off of drills based upon what we struggled in at the tournament. Yeah, I love it. So that is, that's what every practice plan gets developed from for each week is based upon our needs that we found out from the weekend ahead. Yeah, I love that coach. And I appreciate the insight into your program. Uh, I told you I was gonna pick your brain into your program, man. I love what you're doing out there. Um, coach Pete, what's the one final question you have for Jeff? You can see he's got a plan of attack on from K all the way to 12. I love his program organization. What do you think? Well, I already know now why you win so much. It's uh, <laughs> really obvious and um, wouldn't change a thing. And um, just keep doing what you're doing. And uh, I learned a lot today. Uh, again, I'm, was one I'm probably too simplistic with what I do, but uh, I never forget what Jerry Tarkanian says. Every time you give your kid something else, the feet get a little slower. So I'm kind of a one, two, three, man. I, I never go past that, but um, I don't know that I've met anybody or heard anybody speak this year that has a, a full rounded program like y'all do and the way you teach things. And, uh, you know, it doesn't matter uh, what you know. The issue is, can you teach it? If you're not a teacher, it's not going to work out for you. And, um, and it's not what you know, it's what you emphasize. And gosh, y'all, is there any time that y'all don't practice basketball? <laughs> I am um, not really. That's what we like. <laughs> I tell you, it's a lot of fun. And kids Look, are working. I have out. never heard of a, I've never heard of a basketball coach in my life. And I've been around a long time. High school principal coach, the whole deal. I've never heard of one that built a gym out of his garage. <laughs> You've got, this is a Guinness book of records right here. The coach that builds a gym onto his house. <laughs> yep. 
But anyway, I've enjoyed listening to you today. It's been a, a real, real pleasure. And I think you, um, like that old song that says, your future's so bright, you got to wear shades. You, that's, I think that's you right there. I think you're going to continue to do great things. I wish I could see you play. But anyway, I'm through. Enjoyed it. It was a great time. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah. Hey, Jeff. Um, hey, before you go, I want to talk about the Cromwell matchup. Um, and how can you, how are you going to, Cromwell's one of your rivalries, right? Yeah. Talk about that rivalry and talk about the small school pageantry that you guys have in your gym. I heard it's unbelievable. This going to your gym, the excitement. Talk about the pageantry and the rivalries that you have in your area before you go. Well, with Cromwell, it's been sort of fun. I mean, they, you know, they've been really good for many, many years also. And um, we had our nine straight section run going there. And a year ago, Cromwell was able to knock us off. And um, they had two girls that got division two scholarships and they had a really good class A team. So it was a lot of fun. And, um, but then this year we got to play them in the section semis and, we beat them by like 35, I think. And, you know, and <laughs> it, just, it just creates yeah. a lot of fun. I know, I mean, it, the thing about small school, I think we all respect each, the coaching staffs and the programs respect each other. Right. And I think we work hard every year to, to try and get them again. Um, we have some other local rivals. I mean, Cherry um, is another one that every single year we end up playing. I mean, you play the same teams year in and year out and that's what you prepare for. And, we, we are also fortunate enough to have rivals all around the state of Minnesota. Right. Um, our next year's schedule, if you were able to look at that, we have, I think, seven games of at least three hours of driving to get to. Wow. Um, we're, we will be playing top state-ranked teams all over the state. We are fortunate enough to get invited to several showcase events in the metro area to play top state-ranked teams. And... I always tell our kids, we just can't take that for granted. I mean, this is an opportunity that we are being given because, you know, we have kids that put time in and um, a coaching staff that puts time in and um, you just got to enjoy it and get the most out of it that you can. But it does create rivalries. I remember what Maranatha Christian Academy is a private school out of the Minneapolis metro area. And we played them in the state championship one year and we were the little unknown school and they were the private school that's going to state every year and winning titles and we lost to them by like seven in the state championship game and that coach was just so like surprised that we could do that to them well they ended up coming and playing us every year after that so the next year they come to Mountain Iron and this is the rematch and our gym was packed we <laughs> filled two classrooms that had to watch the game on tv awesome and um, we ended up knocking them off in that game but those are the kind of things that's just been fun and have been created. And we have a lot of good relationships around the state with teams and, um, and we don't have a state championship yet. That's one thing we're missing. So maybe someday we'll be able to pull that off too. Yeah. But your, your culture and your program to me is a championship level program. I, I know a lot of coaches I've been around a long time on that, but I've really learned a lot from you today, Jeff. You're uh, you got to, I, uh, I appreciate the coach that kind of introduced me to you. I learned a lot. I would love to get your shooting workouts in your garage. I want you to send that to me. All right. So your hot shooting drills that, that you do with your, your kids. Can you get that for me? When I start doing some um, 
uh, some individual lessons here in early June. I'll get, get you some copies of them. Yeah, that'd be great. Hey, Coach, how can coaches reach out to you? I know I have a lot of coaches around the country. If they wanted to contact you, uh, what's the best way to reach you? By my email. Um, I'm sure I, you have the email, but jbuffetta mm -hmm. at isd712.org. Um, I'm accessible at any time. I I love helping people. I'm, I People are welcome to come watch my practices anytime if you're up in northern Minnesota. Uh, we, we do have all of our games live streamed now. Okay. So um, when, when we get next November through March, all of our home games will be live streamed, boys and girls. So feel free to tune in. We like, you know, the more people, the better. Pete, it's going to be live streamed so you can watch it on your computer, Coach. So you'll be able to see a game. Pete watches every game. <laughs> He's a basketball junkie. Um, Jeff, thank you so much. Um, hey, go Rangers, right? Go Rangers. I appreciate everything you're doing for the game. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. All right. Take care, Coach. Hello, my name is Coach Charlie Miller, Head Master Trainer with the TAC Basketball Academy in Dallas, Texas. I'm here to promote the upcoming Championship Vision Podcast Clinic Series brought to us by Coach Kevin Furtado from Lake Oconee Academy in Greensboro, Georgia. Coach Furtado is a well-respected, sought-after coach and found other coaches like him to share their best practices and secrets to success with players, parents, and teams. The clinic will provide two types of virtual clinics, lecture style via Zoomcast and on-court instructions with coaches and players. Again, my name is Coach Charlie Miller from Attack Basketball Academy, where we work with kids from third grade through high school in a positive and growth-oriented atmosphere that promotes a whole body approach to well-being. Our programs are designed not only to improve your child's ability on the court, but also to teach him or her valuable skills that will serve them throughout their lives. This is Mike May, creator and owner of Practice Planner Live Software. I'm excited about partnering with Kevin Furtado and Championship Vision Podcasts. We share a common passion of helping basketball coaches be more effective in their profession. With over 26 years of basketball coaching experience, I created Practice Planner Live with the purpose of saving coaches valuable time in creating efficient and effective practice plans. John Wooden once said, if you fail to prepare, you prepare to fail. Practice Planner Live can take your practice planning to a whole nother level with tools and functionality that will maximize your team's ability to reach their potential.